I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. This week, the story of a time-starved athlete, but not any time-starved athlete. This is one who's heading to her residency while in her fourth year at medical school at Columbia, and at the same time competing at the very pointy end of professional triathlon. Cecilia Davis-Hayes, or CDH as I like to call her, could be labelled as the inspiration for our entire pro squad. And as you'll hear, well, she's simply a wonderful person. But before we dive into the story of integration of elite sport into a time staff life, Let's do that jingle, shall we? We like the way he thinks, serious with a wink. Let's open the book, it's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. The Word of the Week this week? Hobby. Yes, a little perspective for you, especially for all of you hyper-driven performance maniacs. You may have lofty goals and ambitions. You may have outlined some serious targets of success. Your pursuit and training might well be, and no, should be, very important to you. But you are allowed to have fun. Fun. Enjoy it. It can and should be a release from your real world. You see, I sit here right now in Scottsdale, Arizona with my professional squad. And throughout the week of training that we've had here, the squad has, well, they've trained their behinds off. But coupled with the hard work and commitment, there's been a lot of laughter, quite a bit of heckling, more than a few doses of sarcasm, and even particular focus on Bernie, as he is named, a very unsightly boil, the owner of which shall remain nameless. All of the world-class athletes here are deadly serious in their quest for prime performance, but they love it, they smile, and they enjoy it. And you should too, because... And here's the word of the week. It's your hobby. Success and performance will flow from the effort, but also from the joy. And it will never be spawned from making your performance simply feel like a second job. It should be a release and it should be a journey of passion. And so if you feel like I might just be talking to you, I probably am. Step back. Remember, ultimately, this is a hobby. And so give yourself permission to have fun and your performance, and by the way, your friends, are probably going to thank you. And that is why the word of the week this week is hobby, a timely reminder. And now, let's get on with the meat and potatoes. All right, folks, the meat and potatoes. And let me introduce this guest today by talking about world-class performance. I think world-class performance in any sport is challenging, very challenging. But how about if you're a professional triathlete while you're in medical school at Columbia? Cecilia Davis-Hayes, you've been a purple patch athlete for almost three years now, and we have navigated, I would say, a highly complex 
life situation of you now being in your fourth year at medical school and you've transitioned from being an amateur to a professional and ultimately a successful professional triathlete. So thank you very much for joining us today to share your story and hopefully some insights. Thanks for having me, Matt. So when we think about Purple Patch, everything we do is to empower people to find their athletic potential. And a big part of that is really attractive to people that have time-starved lives. I cannot imagine anyone that has a greater time-starved life than you, Cecilia. But before we get into it, let's uh, let's go back in time a little bit. I always love to start with our guests to have a little bit of context, to give us a little bit of flavor of who we're talking to. So just give us a couple of minutes of your family, your education, your upbringing. What was life like when you were young? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Philadelphia. I uh, had a very supportive mom and dad. Mom who's a doctor and endocrinologist, dad who's an architect and uh, quite an athlete himself. Um, older sister um, who uh, was a, a, a buddy in all sorts of pursuits um, and uh, really had a quite quite idyllic childhood. I went to a lovely school. I felt very supported, a Quaker school, which is a wonderful, for those of you who don't know, um, educational philosophy that really fosters the love of learning. And I think that's stuck stuck with me quite well. Um, had really wonderful teachers there and yeah. not exactly a place that um, encourages athletics, but I think I found that through my dad, um, who was a, um, varsity runner at Kansas back in the eighties when that was one of the powerhouses of, of endurance running with, uh, Jim Ryan breaking the oh, four yeah. minute mile there. And, um, so he, I always had, I had that kind of angle from him. Um, so, how, how about your sports? How, uh, what were your sports growing up? Was it straight into running or did you have other stuff? Yeah, I did a little bit of exploring first. Uh, I did ballet because that's what my sister did. But my, my my biggest memory of that is they had this cool clock on the wall and I would just look up at it counting down the minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so I pretty quickly after that found soccer, um, which was much more my speed and threw myself into that um, quite quite heavily and played at a pretty, pretty high level um, through my senior year in high school and really wasn't st- uh, didn't start running until um, later, really um, middle school. Um, and even that was just kind of part-time with soccer. And post-high school, you went on and you did some running in college. Where, where did you go to college? Um, I went to Williams College. It's a small liberal arts school up in Massachusetts and has a wonderful running team, one of the best you know, Division three, so smaller schools, um, running team up in the Berkshire Mountains, so beautiful training ground, um, and really thought I would be uh, a great runner. I'd had success in high school, and I think I'd always done both soccer and running, and I think that was a great combo for me. And once I uh, decided to run for three seasons a year, that was something my body couldn't quite handle. So you had a, a lot of injuries through through the collegiate years. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I had it all. I had anemia my freshman year, which took me oh, so low iron. Um, that took me a while to bounce back from. Finally, when I was getting back in gear, um, my in my um, freshman spring of track, I decided I would try the steeplechase. And the first meet of the year, I um, had a really a nasty landing off of the water pit jump and um, broke my calcaneus, my heel bone. That that took me a, quite a while to recover from. And, and that was just the first. It was every time I came back um, to running, I had another ailment, it seemed. Now, we're, we're going to talk about triathlon, but you 
within the sport of triathlon, within the professional field, you're known as a, a strong cyclist, quite often having the uh, the fastest bike split across the half Ironman distance and, and the Olympic distance races that you do. When, when did you find cycling? So that was a silver lining from all the running injuries, actually. Um, as it often, one door closes, another opens. And I was recommended to go and ride with the cycling team while I had this heel fracture. And I met um, a, a young woman at the time who was in a similar boat to me. She was a Canadian national team skier who had come to ski at Williams because they have quite a good ski program. And she had torn her ACL three times, and that was it for her. And so she took up cycling. Anyway, she she took me under her wing and taught me to ride a bike. And um, I really fell in love with that sport and started uh, doing some cross training with cycling. And, and post college, what was the, what was the bridge to med school? What, when, when did you go to med school, I guess, relative to finishing college? Yeah. So I'd all, it had been the plan uh, to go to medical school the whole time, but I knew being an adventurer, I knew this was my time to kind of see the world between medical school uh, and before starting medical school after college. And so I went to my, uh, the fellowship's office my senior year. And I said, what can I, how can I go and live in France for a year? Cause I'd always loved France. And, um, I found, uh, a, a teaching gig there and ended up, um, doing a second year of teaching up in, in England, actually at Winchester college. Oh, yeah. yeah. They have a fellowship for an American, um, to be kind of an assistant teacher. So I spent two years living in Europe and, uh, doing these teaching jobs and also kind of got, getting into cycling um, while I was there. If I lived in a really small uh, French town in Lorraine where there were 20,000 people and somehow five cycling clubs. So it was really a thing to do. So yeah, I got involved there. <laughs> very common. And then you... You started uh, medical school in 2014? Yeah, uh, summer 2013. Okay. Yep. So I came back from the States from those years abroad and quickly um, I jumped on a elite women's cycling team and during my first year of medical school and started and can, earned my cat category one cycling license within within a, within a year and I was racing at a pretty high level doing the cycling so that's what I did throughout my first year of medical school okay and then triathlon it, yeah uh, what what was the catalyst for that I mean you you're in medical school why not choose a sport that has three disciplines and is a, a global sport and highly complex but but how did you get into triathlon right so um again you know a hardship in one thing opens an opportunity in another thing you think it's sort of a theme and uh I had a quite a nasty um crash as of course you'll hear from many cyclists and um during a race and it was a little bit of a reality check for me I ended up you know, hospitalized for a couple of days, had a golf ball sized hematoma in my pelvis. So a little bit of an inter uh, internal bleeding and some pelvic fractures. And that was pretty scary for me. And I think, um, being in medical school at the time, I, it was like, wow, this is you know, some clarity. It, yeah, exactly. And, and also that if this had happened at a slightly different time, this really could have been, you know, um, upsetting for my career goals too. So it seemed kind of irresponsible. And I thought maybe I'd hang up the bike for, for good, but that, <laughs> that didn't work for long and somebody had suggested at the time you know well you triathlon's a lot safer because the biking isn't in a group so I started to let that brew as I was recovering from this big injury and then of course it worked quite well with a broken pelvis and a broken collarbone the first thing I could do was swim so I, I kind of got in the pool and thought 
uh, that's not, this isn't so hard or so intimidating and sort of liked it. And so then I had a running background plus a cycling background and now I'm not scared of swimming. So it seemed like, of course I had this, uh, still competitive burning desire within me that I couldn't quite shut down. Um, of course. So so when was your first race? So my first race was in May, 2015. And that was about a year, a little less than a year after that baggage crash. And, uh, I went to the, the Columbia, um, university has a cycling, t- as a triathlon team. And I jumped in a race with them that they happened to be going to, I think it was called the Bassman try down in New Jersey. And mm-hmm. despite getting flatting one of the tubulars that I had borrowed from somebody, um, and having to wait 15 minutes on the side of the road, I was able to pass the, the last woman on like the last mile of the run and came out with my first win in my first tri- triathlon so I was kind of kind of hooked from there and my third race later that summer was um USA triathlon age group nationals and was came out with an age group win there so it was pretty I went dove in pretty quickly so you have you have this uh success and and then we met each other <laughs> you uh, you became a purple patch athlete you're about three years in or two and a half years I think into our journey uh, I guess You'd had success, your age group national champion. What, what made you reach out to, to me, Purple Patch? You're in New York, I'm in San Francisco. What was the catalyst of, uh, of getting a coach and, and me? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think... I was a li- I was a guinea pig of of my local coach at the time. I think you know he had never never coached someone at at my level, and I was looking for first and foremost a coach who was experienced uh, guiding the top amateurs and 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 helping them improve. And um, I had a goal to to compete in the professional division at the time, and then uh, look, looking for someone who could help me on that journey. Uh, and I spoke to. A number of coaches who fit that bill, who were experienced in this, but um, I think it was pretty obvious when I got on the phone with you, Matt, that um, that you shared similar philosophies to uh, to the ones I held, and I guess you know there's a lot of little quips you could say, or um, but I think. I always think less is more in some ways and, you know, quality over quantity. And to to me, you know, uh, you embodied those principles a little bit. And I also felt like you were thinking about like, always thinking about the big picture and um, yeah, not getting caught up in the dirty details, which I appreciated. So, And and when you, when you did reach out, because I I remember our first conversation and you're in, you know, you're, you're in medical school. What were your goals at your time athletically? What did you think of? You, you'd won age group nationals. Yeah, I guess <laughs> my goal. Well, to be honest, I, I, I was, I wanted to be the very best I could be and the, you know, the very best in the world. I really wanted to, to go big. And I think I knew that I wanted to be a doctor, but I didn't know, um, exactly how long I could maybe put that off. And I knew that now, like right now, this is it. Like, this is my chance. This is my moment. And these things don't come twice in life that Mm -hmm. this is my, my body is finally ready to reach its athletic potential. That's like what I was getting from my, I just like wanted to go. And I had been fighting so hard for it. First it was soccer. I really wanted to be great. And I just wasn't. And then the running and the injuries and then the cycling and the injuries. And now when I was, sort of least trying 
<laughs> to do it. I was in medical school and kind of squeezing things in here and there and swimming once or twice a week. And then all of a sudden my body is talking to me. And so I think that that's what I went to you with. And I didn't really have a distinct plan. I just knew that I wanted to I go for this. this oh, yeah, exactly. And what, what were the logistical challenges? Because you were faced with very real logistical challenges. Yeah. Yes. So at the time I was, I guess I was two and a half years into medical school at that point doing my clinical rotations um so the main you know in the hospital right Mm -hmm. and uh the next step would be to apply to residency um, and medical residency which is even more intensive than medical school time commitment wise and i had i was facing this kind of fork fork in the road do i carry on apply to residency with my class um and i knew that would mean maybe having a year to race triathlon and maybe and then um kind of having to back burner it or do i do something different and i didn't even know what that meant at the time. So do I t- take some time off? Do I somehow extend, you know, to, to, to take advantage of this period where to compete and train? And how about our initial conversations? Do you remember them? Like, yeah, yeah, I know I do. I, I think we, a long we talked like two hours. I couldn't believe it. I thought, wow, I thought this guy is pretty in high demand. I can't believe he just took two hours to speak with me. And um, and and I remember, um, yeah, feeling like I, I learned a ton just by speaking to you um, about the sport and about your philosophy and about coaching and um and uh, yeah, I, I felt like I'd met someone who I really would trust. And I think that's the most important element in a coach and something I'd lacked in former coaches that when you tow that line on race day, you need to be so confident that you are really well prepared. And I thought, okay, I think um, I could, I really trust this person. So, so let's fast forward two years, professional sure. racing. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I also remember you had to battle me to, uh, to actually turn pro. If, uh, I, can remember. I was true. very strong we had a and, and you highlighted to me actually uh, I, I guess one part of the story that's very important is you got special dispensation to actually effectively pause medical school for a year that's right 2017 that would have been actually two years Matt. two years yeah two mm-hmm. years and um uh, and I mean that—that that is very, very rare. Have, have Columbia ever done that for somebody before, or allowed? <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's very rare. Yeah. Isn't it? So there had to be a special faculty committee committee meeting about me, apparently. Um, but in fact. Um, I think this is sort of one of the lessons that we'll get to later, but um, I think it was really important for me to have the confidence to go and ask for what I wanted. And in life, there are rules, but sometimes they can be stretched or broken or if there's a good reason for that. And I had to, sometimes the hardest part is getting up the courage to ask the question. Exactly. And I remember sweating with my mom before the meeting that I was going to make my proposal to the Dean of Students, who's quite a austere character. And I was granted um, this this extra, really it was, it was research, two research years in the eyes of the institution. So in case anyone from Columbia is uh, listening, there, I did full-time research during that. When I, and actually did. I was first author on three papers during that time related to sports-related concussions. So I really was able to continue um, contributing and learning in the medical field while having a lot of flexibility to train and race. Which ended up super. And your, and your first years, by all account, were, were a great success. I, I wanted to sort of, quote, hold you back and say, let's do one year as an amateur and then go pro. And you said... 
I've got two years. I'm going all in. <laughs> and uh, and against my judgment, I said, uh, okay. And then it was a startling success. So it shows how much I know. But, uh, <laughs> but your very first pro race, you were eighth at St. George. Yeah. And, uh, and then you got uh, a second at Philadelphia, fourth at Augusta, 70.3. 2018, you've got third, fourth, fourth, third. It, it, it can consistently... Uh, evolving and growing as an athlete and I think that we can look back and say well what what a wonderful two years Mm -hmm. but as now we have sort of uh, progressed life has returned to become more complex and uh, and now we come to the meat the real meat and potatoes for today Uh, so give me as we go to this season what we've had to navigate this season this was really the part of well should we carry on or are we kind of done and we said we're not done we want to try and carry on with this but now we've got to become the epitome of the time-starved athlete mm-hmm. and uh, so give us a little context of of your month what it would be like yeah yeah for sure so uh those of you who know the, the medical system your fourth year of med school is different el- clinical electives and it, it varies a lot month by month so i think the first few months when I started back and I said, Matt, okay, I'm going to have to tell you what my schedule is like for each month and you're just going to have to see what I can what, what I can make work. And so I think that first month was a internal medicine sub-internship, which is kind of like being uh, a little trial run as being a mini doctor and the hours are pretty long. And I said, you know, I'm going to be there 6.30 a.m. to 7, 8 p.m. on some days and some, you know, in some days maybe I'll get out at four and that will be an, an unknown. But um, I think uh, giving you the context for what this is going to, what the month was going to look like. Um, it, and yeah. Um, <laughs> just, just crazy. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just crazy. And then, and then the next month could be um, a primary care or a pathology and I might really be more like nine to five. And then those months, okay, actually you can get quite a bit of training in. So really rolling with it and taking the opportunity to to get a little bit more work in where you can and well, back yeah. enough what, what tell us about your approach globally to both I, th- I think weekly planning and how you sort of think about looking at the the week or month ahead to maximize and then your training globally and maybe i'll give my perspective as well but why didn't you crack us off on this yeah yeah for sure um so I think I do do this the standard things like look look at the week ahead and chart out on my calendar where where I'm going to have moments um of of free time and when I need to wake up at uh 5 a.m. to get things in um and um and then yeah I think I I've I've done a a good job at um keeping my life pretty simple and centered um i live a mile from the hospital i have um you know all, everything i need kind of in my in my little circle so i've, I've simplified as much as i can um, and then the other thing i think is is from my standpoint that's become even more important than most athletes is having a really fluid mindset on mm. these are the couple of days that we want to hit move them around and yeah. hit them when your body's ready as well. Yeah? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And have you found that you've had to really navigate responding to the the life stress and really being cognizant of the life stress? Like sometimes there's an accumulation of just life where it's like, I can't do 
what's prescribed today basically yeah yeah, yeah for sure um i think that yeah as a, as a medical student particularly you're not in control of your own schedule and you have to constantly um be yeah reassessing and saying okay well wow i thought i might get out at 4 p.m today and so i was going to be able to do that track workout but then um something comes up like i remember one time in speci specifically during my this uh, internal medicine sub-internship, it's kind of your chance to show that you can handle the the responsibilities of, of being a doctor. And it was like 5 p.m. And I just felt like I'd done a really good job at going um, admitting this new patient. So you, you go down to the emergency department, you do a, a history and a physical, and then you do a write-up on them. And um, and then the next morning, you'll present them on rounds to the head doctor and, mm -hmm. and say what your plan is. So I'd just done one of those, and um, guy with pneumonia or something like that. And then my resident turns to me and says, uh, there's a second, we've got a second admission. Uh, do you want to take it? And it's sort of like one of those questions that's optional, but in your gut, you know that if you say no, you're really gonna yep. be copping out here and so of course they're out the window when my aspirations for doing that track workout and here we go i'm headed back down to the emergency department knowing that this is going to take me you know two or three hours i'm going to be here till 8 p.m now yeah. but um of course you know this is a huge priority for me as my um in my career as uh, becoming a doctor. And then it was all, of course, worth it. I presented the two patients on the next day on rounds. And then that ended up being the head doctor who wrote one of my letters of recommendation, which is now responsible for getting me great residency interviews. So everything sort of comes around. It comes around in the wash. And did you end yep. up getting the track workout interview? <laughs> I think I got it the next day. The you know, like day, you said, exactly. you just have to swap it around. And I think having, yeah, that fle mental flexibility is, is so huge because if you're sweating that that the details then you're just bringing yourself down and you're not going to do a good job you know in the career thing or or in the workout if you do in the get workout there thing, exactly yeah. another thing that you've said to me is around uh, selectivity or or sacrifices and you said uh, i've had to become really good at saying no mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about that yeah yeah for sure um that's a big goal in maturity for me um is being selective with the social engagements that I say yes to. And uh, it was really hard at first um, to, you want to be that enthusiastic person who agrees and is game for everything, but being a little bit more selfish and saying, what is this, is this going to do for me? And I started, be because I was forced to with medical school and triathlon and those being such high priorities, anything else that I added had to be really high value. And Otherwise, I knew I was distract, detracting from those other two major goals, and it, it forces you to be a little bit selfish and say, "Okay, unless unless you're proposing me something really good, like I have these other things going on." So. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, there is so much. There is only so much of a uh, in the bucket of life that you can fill before it spills. Right. And, right. And when you're cramming so much in, it's I would call it um, necessary or appropriate selfishness. Yes. And, yes. Uh, exactly. Because ultimately, it's almost selfish to um to to draw the point out a little bit it's almost selfish just to say yes to everything because then you're diluting yourself and right. you're not bringing the best self to to anything very true and uh, so no one wins ultimately you or or your friends or your work or of course or your sport and therefore also your coach right right but, uh, right so, yeah. so how about racing because you know we're here 
right now we're in Scottsdale. We are with the team of full-time professional athletes mm -hmm. with very high uh, aspirations, uh, looking to you know absolutely maximize themselves. And you're here, I, I would say one of the, the most popular members of our squad <laughs> and, and inspiring. Uh, and, and all of our full-time pros just look at you with this continual question of, wow, she's the highest performer. And, but ultimately you have to race them on race day. Hmm. And I think that a lot of people in sports, whatever they're doing, spend a lot of time thinking about what they haven't done. Hmm. And uh, so you, you stand up and you race against these other women that are full-time, that are training 20, 25, 30 hours a week. You're not getting anywhere close to that, mm -hmm. but no one cares. What matters is who goes from A to B as fast as you can. So how do you manage that? Is it intimidating? How, what's your mindset on there? Hmm. Yeah, I suppose it is a little intimidating when you say it like that, but I think I'm I'm not one of those who goes and stalks all the race results and I'm I'm doing this because I want to be the best version of myself. And so when I toe the line, yes, I'm thinking about my competitors, but um, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm thinking about what, what, what can I do um, and not as much about what they can do. And I also feel like in some ways I have an advantage. Yes, I don't have the time to train 25 or 30 hours a week, but um, I think there is something to be said for not having all your eggs in one basket. And I think it can take the pressure off, um, off a lot. I think, um, sometimes I'll show up to erase the, like I can think this fall, the, the, um, a couple of the races I showed up just after coming off of an exam or an interview. And I was thinking, nothing about the race until I show up and I was like, okay, now I have 24 hours, build my bike, get in this mindset. And unlike maybe some of my competitors who'd been thinking about this for one week, two weeks, three you, you weeks. Mean, you think about it for 18 hours right. and get going. And, <laughs> and maybe in some ways that's an advantage. <laughs> well, even to come to this camp, to put it in perspective, last week you were at Stanford in California in interviews for residency. You flew back to New York a couple of days back in New York, and then you flew to Scottsdale. Mm -hmm. It is the life of a high-flying executive, <laughs> right. and you, yet you are performing at this world-class level. Yeah, you're forgetting the interview I did the day of my flight to Scottsdale in New York, actually. There you go. So you had an interview <laughs> in New York. That's right. Yeah. That's why you had to go back. And even right. for some of your races, you were interviewing and saying, okay, I can I can go and do Waco. Or was it Waco 70.3 or Indian yep. World 70.3? Maybe mm -hmm. one of the two that uh, – he said, I can go and do that because I happen to have an interview that I can get out right. of and get down to this race. <laughs> exactly. I, mean, I had like Colorado and then Utah, and then I just tacked on, you know, Indian, well, Palm Springs. Palm so. Springs, yeah. 70.3. So let's go and see what happens here. Right. So I guess in many ways, the, you know, ultimately, no matter the level of, of who you are or one is as an athlete, there should still be the permission to have fun. Mm. And the racing should For be, sure. we hope as coaches, to be the release, the mm -hmm. reward, the you have been working hard, let's go and see what my body can give me. And of course, the, the joie de vie is doing it against competitors and seeing what happens at the end. Of course. When you have that whole other life, I guess that that is almost an accelerant to, to, to that. Yeah. Versus sometimes if it's all you have, it can grind you down and stack yeah, imaginary for pressure. For in sure. many ways. For and sure. Yeah. I, I will say, and you know, sort of supporting your point on that, every time we speak about racing, it's 
okay, what do I do? This is fun. It's like, go show me you can ride your bike. All right, I'm going to go and try and show him I can ride my bike. But <laughs> yep. there is, there's no what if and there's no who. It's just how. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that, that that is a great lesson for someone that isn't time starved to say, hang on, how do I capture that mindset? And not be anchored in the what if or the consequences, but actually for the simplicity of racing, which I think is a very pure thing in, in many, many ways. Yeah, yeah, um, I think that's a big thing with me. Don't I don't overthink too many things. I just show up, be in the moment, I, yeah, sometimes for better or for worse, don't think about tomorrow until tomorrow comes. And yeah. that's kind of liberating and, and freeing and I think especially good for racing. Because and that's the... We, we, we always talk about presence, being present and, right. uh, and just uh, focusing on the process of what you can control right. and, uh, and not worrying about too much else. Right. It's funny, we had a, a discussion in, a, in another podcast with another Purple Patch Pro who you met here, Chelsea Sodaro, mm-hmm. and she was, uh, she was talking about uh, for so much of her athletic career when she was a professional runner, uh, being very results-driven, mm-hmm. so chasing the Olympic team, chasing a championship mm-hmm. and she said a real evolution of which I think I think will really empower her where her whole ends now is is ironically or interestingly maybe aligned with yours how good can I be mm-hmm. in this new sport and I think that's one of the things that's really interesting actually about someone coming from a sport going through a journey and having a second chance and saying hang on I, I've learned from that I can actually shift my lens to be something helpful mm-hmm as an athlete myself, I was results driven as a swimmer and I had a second chance. I was results different as driven as a triathlete <laughs> and I therefore did not excel. Right. So, um, so it's good. Right. W- w- would you have any, and the answer might be no, but any other final lessons or thoughts for time starved athletes? I know meant yeah. earlier before that you said you've got to have the courage to ask. Right, right. I think, um, and I think this could pretty it doesn't just apply to being a student i know i've had a couple buddies who um have asked for special dispensation at work to say can i just have instead of one hour for lunch can i have two hours so they can go get in a 90 minute swim if they need to um but i think yeah i think that is big um to have the courage first to know yourself and know what you want and and need and for me that was okay i want to take this extra time for a triathlon or i'm thinking of an example my uh when i was doing the cycling um seriously i had uh, the opportunity I'd, to be on this collegiate all-star cycling team and go race the North Star Grand Prix, which is one of the biggest uh, cycling races in the U.S., and they were going to have a group of college girls come together to form a team. And I thought it, was, it fell during the my first year medical school exams, and I thought no way would, would anyone ever say yes to this. But I thought, you know what? We take these exams on a laptop anyway. There's no real logistical reason I couldn't do it. So I go and talk to Dr. Gay who was a fellow Francophile, so I already had a leg up. So I went in there, and he was reading Le Monde. <laughs> and so I spoke to him in French, and I thought, okay, I think this is probably going to go pretty well. And I asked him if I could take these exams in Minnesota to do the North Star Grand Prix. And lo and behold, he said, oui, oui. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought, okay. So I think just whether that's your boss or your significant other, I think communication is key, and piping up to ask is, is big. And then I guess the other thing that works for me and may not work for everyone, but is, um, uh, I think, being hyper-efficient, I guess, and and making the most of little spots of time, of in-between time. And um, just to for an example of the type of things that 
work for me that there was a summer where most of my classmates were studying for the MCAT, which is the big medical school admissions test. And many of them take the whole summer just to study for this test, Mm -hmm. go to the library every day, whatnot. And I um, had applied for this internship out in Bozeman, Montana um, to work at a kind of recreational therapy for place for people with disabilities and was going with my best friend, Sarah, who was doing, going to do a like mountain journalism thing. And we had all these athletic adventures planned. And I said, but Sarah, I need to study for the MCAT. And, but I still want to do all these things with you. So she would drive and I would whip out the MCAT book and do a chapter. And so you, you can't, yeah, I guess don't, don't say no to things that you really want to do, but have, you know, that discipline that you're going to squeeze, squeeze things in, in the downtime. And you can really do a lot in a 10 minute block or a five minute block if you just focus on it. So those are, I guess, two pearls that worked for me. And I'm I'm glad that you didn't bypass Montana, as it's my favorite state in I America. W- it's a lovely place. It is a magical place. <laughs> it is my favorite state. And Kelly, of course, is from Montana. Oh, no way. I didn't yes, realize indeed. that. Yes. So, okay. Uh, we spent a lot of time up there. Wonderful. Okay. Now, this is actually going to be tougher than the MCAT. The last, okay. Uh, this is going to be tougher than your professional <laughs> triathlon career. This is going to be tougher than being coached by me. Oh, boy. We call it Desert Island. Okay. It's time for your exile. You only, you have four questions. Okay. And you don't get a pass on this. You have to supply the answer that can be reactive, and you have to give a little bit of a why. Why is that answer? Okay. And so all of our guests get asked these, and it's quick questions. You're, there's a British uh, a BBC radio show called Desert Island Discs, and that's what this is based on a little bit. So you have uh, the first question here. Okay. By the way, you are, cannot say the national anthem or the Bible or anything like that. Anything <laughs> sterile. You have, to, uh, you have to have some real context here. So if you had one piece of music to bring with you to a desert island, what would it be and why? Hmm... I can do a whole album. You can do an album, indeed. Okay. Um, I guess I'll go with uh, Ingrid Michaelson. She has an album called Lights Out. And um, every song is a little bit different, but each has a kind of message that really resonates with me. And it was uh, was a disc that was in the car for a long road trip that I did with a couple friends. And it just brings back awesome memories, and I don't get sick of it. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Here's the pressure one. Oh, boy. You only have one book to bring. What would that be and why? Oh, okay. Oh, mm. let's see. I've done a lot of good reading lately, but I think I'll go back to, I was a, I was a young classicist, and that was my first kind of imagined career. Um, and I'll go with uh, Virgil's Aeneid, because I think there's lots of, maybe a translation, I'm not sure I could uh, handle the Latin anymore, but there's <laughs> lots of good adventure there, and I think there's, there's uh, a lot you could dig your teeth deeply in if you had uh, hours and hours, day on end. Well, you, you would in exile, I promise you that. <laughs> and, and the last one, like the third one is a freebie. You can bring one other thing, anything. Now, don't go all survivalist on me, but you can bring one other thing. What would you bring? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I guess I would bring Eric, my fiancé. He's my best friend and uh, makes me very happy. So he would be my thing. That's a great <laughs> one. So if you could offer the world one piece of advice, you're heading off the, the shores, you're going to exile... What would your last piece of advice be? Hmm. 
Uh, spread joy to those around you. Spread joy to those around you. Well, Cecilia, and I say this earnestly, you do. <laughs> Thank you do that. <laughs> and uh, that. you are amongst Purple Patch, amongst the pro squad. You're, um, you're a wonderful addition to the team and you've taught us all a lot. And, uh, and that's, um, that's a fantastic thing. And so it's been a, a great journey. It's one of those coaching relationships that I'm sort of privileged to have been a part of. And uh, when we first chatted uh, for two hours on the phone, <laughs> I don't remember what we said, but, uh, but I knew that it would be a fun project. And it's going to get more complex because we don't quite know where you're going to start your residency, but it's starting really soon, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And but... so we're going to keep navigating. We're going to keep seeing whether we can fit the, jig- the pieces of the jigsaw in to have you excel. But, uh, That's right. but I do know that... Um, that whatever you do, you're going to be successful. And I, I, I'm a, a fan of excellence and you exude excellence. So thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me out. I'm in good hands. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. And that's it for you guys. CDH, Cecilia Davis-Hayes. To me, quite simply an amazing person, a wonderful person, a joy to coach and a great addition to the Purple Patch squad and the Purple Patch community as a whole. Thank you, Cecilia. I really appreciate it. Next week, guys... We're going to come back to questions, so you can always ask us the questions, questions at purplepatchfitness.com. But until next time, Matt Dixon signing off. Take care.